of 42. Mamacating Library opening late at 11.30 today due to weather. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights the mission by the SpaceX capsule to the International Space Station and Barbara Bravo, Master Gardener Volunteer with Cornell Cooperative Extension in Ulster County, shares details about a special Garden Day event in April. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. The Biden administration is announcing new sanctions against Russia. The latest include a Treasury Department list targeting hundreds of Russians, among them four Russian governors, who are coordinating efforts to transfer Ukrainian children to Russia. NPR's Deborah Amos reports. The four Russian governors were named in a recent study by Yale University's Humanitarian Research Lab. They're part of an official chain of command to move thousands of Ukrainian children to camps for military training, re-education, or adoption, mostly without parental consent. Nathaniel Raymond heads the Yale Lab. They actively coordinated children transports and funded, in many cases, the transportation of Ukrainian children to camps. President Biden has called out Russia for what he calls stolen Ukrainian children. It's an attempt, he said, to steal Ukraine's future. Deborah Amos, NPR News, New York. The U.S. Geological Survey says a 5.3 magnitude earthquake struck central Turkey today. Meanwhile, the death toll from a major earthquake and deadly aftershocks earlier this month now exceeds 50,000 in Turkey and in Syria. NPR's Peter Kenyon has more. Turkey's Disaster and Emergency Management Authority said more than 44,200 people were confirmed dead as a result of the quake, while the death toll from Syria was just short of 6,000. Rescue crews are still on the ground, but there have been no reports of survivors being freed in recent days. Even as tons of emergency aid and supplies continue to be flown into the region daily, people left homeless by the quake are still complaining of difficulty getting a tent for their families. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's government, which came under fire for its initial response to the disaster, is pledging some 270,000 new homes will be built within a year. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Adana, Turkey. The cleanup continues in East Palestine, Ohio, where a train carrying hazardous waste derailed three weeks ago. Officials say more than 200,000 gallons of toxic liquid waste and some solid waste are being transported to waste sites near Detroit. Warren Evans is the executive of Wayne County, Michigan. He says officials are worried about residents along the route and near the waste sites, that they weren't given any advance notice. Wayne County government not knowing they're coming, which way they're coming, uh, how safe the trucks are that are coming, uh, is something that has got us all very, very irritated. Republicans have criticized President Biden for not visiting the site of the derailment while traveling to Kiev to mark the one-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. 
The White House says the president has been briefed on the aftermath of the derailment and had dispatched administration officials there right away. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show, Barbara Bravo, Master Gardener Volunteer with Cornell Cooperative Extension in Ulster County, shares details about a special Garden Day event in April. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Since NASA's space shuttle program was retired in 2011, NASA astronauts have had to rely on other space agencies and organizations to get to the International Space Station. Until 2020, NASA astronauts traveled to the ISS aboard Russian Soyuz capsules, which lift off and land in Kazakhstan. Manned spaceflight returned to the U.S. starting in 2020, when NASA also began using SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule to go to the ISS. At the end of February, SpaceX is scheduled to send four people to the ISS. NASA has announced a launch date of no earlier than February 26th from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. The crew of the SpaceX capsule will be two NASA astronauts, one astronaut from the UAE, and one Russian cosmonaut. Three of the crew will be making their first flight, and the remaining crew member will be making their fourth flight. The SpaceX Crew-6 mission will be the seventh manned mission that SpaceX has sent to the ISS. The first manned flight by SpaceX to the ISS was called Demo-2, and there have been five operational flights since then. The three astronauts and one cosmonaut will spend six months aboard the ISS. They will join seven other people currently aboard the ISS. The SpaceX Crew-6 mission is scheduled to launch four astronauts to the International Space Station tomorrow. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, This has been Keith Hubbard, reminding you to keep looking up. For WJFF Radio, Catskill and Farm and Country, this is Rosie Starr. We're online speaking with Barbara Bravo. She's a volunteer master gardener with the Cornell Cooperative Extension program. I think I have that right, but Barbara, say hello to the uh, audience. Give us your name and your title. Hi, everyone. This is Barbara Bravo. I am a Master Gardener volunteer with Cornell Cooperative Extension of Ulster County, and I am the chair coordinator of Garden Day. And Garden Day is what we like to call an extravaganza of learning possibilities about all things gardening. I'm looking at some of the uh, information on that, and I'm quite excited about it because it looks like it's around Earth Day in April. Let's start a little bit about what is your background? Tell us a little bit about your background. 
Okay. I live in, um, I would call it a rural area, even though it's Saugerties, which is a town of about 20,000 people. It's the largest town, I believe, in Ulster County. And, you know, and I live in this uh, kind of rural environment. And when I moved here, the gardening bug bit me. And I've been digging in the dirt for probably about 35 years. I've been and I've been master gardener for 17. That was something that just drew me in because I wanted to know more about what I was doing, how I could do things better. And as a master gardener volunteer, it's our mission to convey good, sound, science-based information to the gardening public. We don't like to promote things that my great-grandmother told me to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of science in soil. I'm, I'm learning that. And I, and I understand the Master Gardener program is very impressive. Oh, it is. If you have time in your life, in your county, I highly recommend taking the program. Let's start now with your event that's happening. It is on Earth Day. It's going to take place in Stone Ridge. Well, we uh, utilize the community college, so it's SUNY at Stone Ridge, and it's centrally located within the county, so that means anybody coming from any direction pretty much has, you know, the same access. And uh, we do a lot of work down there at the college. We have a demonstration garden, which is probably about 11 different beds, and these are huge beds, and the master gardeners maintain it. We also have that uh, at our disposal for educational purposes. So our Garden Day program will take place there. We have the use of a theater and three classrooms plus the cafeteria, and we utilize the whole thing. We kick off at about 8.30 in the morning, and we wrap up at 4 in the afternoon. And what we offer are 16 classes, and each topic is different. Some are kind of related, but each one is different. We offer vegetable classes, ornamental gardening. In the gardening world, we're all becoming very aware of pollinators and how to support pollinators. So we have classes that focus on that. Then we have some hands-on classes. Uh, one of which is pruning shrubs and trees. Always a mystery if you, until you start doing it. So that's going to be wonderful. And uh, we have another class where it's not hands-on, but it's a demo, and it's all about vermiculture, how to turn your food scraps into fertilizer. Yes, that is a very hot topic right now. People are learning all kinds of ways to help the soil grow. It's it's a very important subject. Um, in fact, I was wondering how deep you go into this with soil boosting or n- nutrients. Vermiculture, huh? it's worm composting. You use bins, and what you do is you, you have these bins, and you get uh, red wigglers, they're called. They're not your earthworms that, that are out in the garden soil. Um, these are kind of specialists. And the uh, red wigglers are the worms that go into the worm bin. And then there's a process of layering shredded newspaper and then 
food scraps, and you set up this whole environment, and the worms, basically, they devour the food scraps. And then they have castings. So, you know, I like to say what goes in one end comes out the other. Those are the castings. It's a great source of nutrients for plants. So, you know, you're, doing, you're accomplishing two things, maybe even more than two things. You're keeping those food scraps out of the, uh, the waste that would go to a landfill, and you're utilizing them to create a form of fertilizer, which is a healthy nutrient for plants. So once you go through this process of learning about this procedure, setting up worm bins, getting your worms, getting the whole thing going, and harvesting the castings... Those castings can be used in potted plants, your house plants, or you can enter them into the garden with your, your, your other garden plants. Sounds extremely organic, literally. <laughs> Let's go back to the day's event, and it sounds like you're bringing awareness to pollinator gardens. That's a very hot topic, too, with butterflies mm-hmm. and bees being such an yes. important species. Let's talk a little bit about that part of your program. That program uh, is called Attracting Hummingbirds, Butterflies, and Bees to Your Garden. And in this program, the presenter, who is a Master Gardener volunteer, he's emphasizing that the pollinators are really being challenged now. With climate change, there's a mismatch between when plants are starting to flower, especially like this warm winter, things if unless we get a cold snap um, and if we get an early spring it's a mismatch because the insects perhaps haven't really hatched out yet the birds haven't arrived yet and yet there'll be things in bloom which those species rely on when they get to their destination and they will have missed it so that is really a very serious issue And when he talks about attracting the birds, the butterflies, the bees, he's going to be talking about habitat loss, pesticide use, and climate change, as I mentioned. And he's going to be giving, you know, tips about how to invite pollinators in and how to kind of set things in motion that supports that system with different kinds of planting techniques. So those are the kinds of things that are covered in one of our topics. It will be kind of deep. You'll definitely go away with, you know, your eyes newly opened. And yet it will be a source of beauty because the plants that he'll be talking about are the desirable plants that we want to grow. Yes, and anything to support the pollinators, very important to our entire ecosystem. There's another class which, though it doesn't sound like it, is also supporting pollinators. It's called Nomo May. It's this idea that don't rush out there with the mower in, in early spring. Let the grass grow. Let it come in because it is a habitat. It's a habitat for insects. And as you just point out, the dandelions that are there. And sometimes there are tiny, tiny little flowers that... We miss. We don't even see them. They might be hiding under foliage or something, or, or you know, they're just not obvious to us because they're not 
you know, they're, they're not stealing the show. But these are very important environments for insects. And the insects, of course, are also in trouble. We're losing thousands of them. And, um, I mean, when's the last time you had to clean your windshield after a long drive? And so the aspect is leave your lawn go until the end of May. But now how do you prepare for that so that you don't end up with a scraggly mix with a mess that's going to be too tall to actually mow? And so the uh, instructor for this class has been studying this, experimenting with it. So she's going to go into the science behind it, why we want to practice this, and to be able to create this environment that's safe for insects, safe for birds, safe for bees, and then how to deal with it after that period of time. It's all something that we can all learn from. Yes, I understand there's a school of thought that leaving... Uh, landscapes more natural uh, for the pollinators, even though it may not look as pretty and pruned as you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's much better for butterflies and bees to have yeah. that diversity yeah. of natural uh, perennials. Not everyone has a sun bath in their yard. Some people have shade. Do you have yes. an event or a discussion about shade? Uh, yeah, we actually have two. Um, I'm going to be giving one that is uh, based on ornamental gardening. And um, it, it's out of necessity because where I live, as I said, it's rural. So I live in an area where there are trees on my property, which is about two acres that are cleared, but there's trees. So there is quite a bit of shade. And then uh, I'm in the middle of a forest. So there's lots and lots of shade here. No opportunity really for a full sun garden. I have some beds that are part sun, but uh, for the most part, it's shade. And because it's so heavily planted with trees, a lot of it is dry shade, which is probably the most difficult to deal with. Because as you know, you go from a full sun garden to a shade garden already, the list of plants begins to narrow. And then when you get into dry shade, that list narrows even more. So in some cases, what I'm going to be talking about are those plants that are going to work best in these circumstances. And on the other hand, you know, what you might consider doing to allow more sunlight in, how to deal with those dry shade conditions, what's the best plants for there. It's based on experience uh, for the most part plus research. And so that will be on ornamental gardening. And then we do have a class that's for uh, a shady vegetable garden. Because, again, not everybody has lots and lots of uh, sunlight. And we know vegetables just love to have full sun all day. But this program called Mastering the Shady Vegetable Garden We'll focus on that. What vegetable plants will do well with less light. And there is a whole body of them, like lettuces. They don't need to have full sun all day. They actually need to have shade or they'll just burn up. They're too delicate. Beets, it's an underground root vegetable, so that's really good for part shade. Carrots, good for part shade. And there's different 
kinds of vegetables that will work very well in a somewhat shady vegetable garden. Well, you, you're you very much an inspiration already to someone like me that does have uh, shade and lots of critters. We're not covering critters. <laughs> oh, that's that's an entire day in itself. <laughs> it sure is. I call it sharing the space. Will you do something for moss? I've come to learn to love moss and and ferns. Yes. Yeah, one of our master gardeners contacted me when we were getting ready to put this program together, and she said, I want to do a program on moss. And I said, okay, fine. (laughs) I happen to have a lot of moss around here on my place. So she's really, really been delving into it, all the different kinds of moss, you know, the environment that they do best in, how to encourage it. And, And I know from some other people outside of our program who actually do use moss as a ground cover instead of lawn. If you have moss growing, sometimes... You're not going to get lawn to grow in that area for, for various reasons. She's going to take that in hand. She's going to teach us all about moss, how to use it as a ground cover, and how to encourage it. And then she's also going to tell us about some ornamental uses for it. Um, now, you've heard of kokodama? Kokodama is kind of a way of taking moss and incorporating it into a little soilless kind of an environment. It's and then it hangs from a string. It's kind of very lovely. I haven't ever made one of those. I've only seen them. But she's going to touch on that, which is an ornamental use for moss. And then also miniature moss gardens, which is very popular with people who like to do these fairy gardens. What we've just discussed sounds so wonderful, but the whole day starts off with a special event. Let's talk about that. And You're talking about a program inspired by Olana. As part of our garden day, we like to kick it off with a keynote speaker. What we want is inspiration. We want something that the whole entire audience can really relate to. So by using the keynote for inspiration, we can really make them see perhaps something differently in a new way, a more expansive way. So this year, we reached out to Olana. They're over in Columbia County, and Olana is the home of Frederick Church. Frederick Church was a 19th century artist, and he was a visionary. He saw this land, and he saw how he could create this landscape on that property with a gorgeous view of the river, and then he put in all kinds of carriage trails, and then gardens, and trees, and, you know, there's even a farm attached to it, and a lake, and, I mean, it's amazing. It is such an amazing property. And then he expended his energy on creating this house, which is a little bit Moorish, it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that, and it's just an exquisite experience. And, you know, when we're looking for somebody to give that inspiration, I said, 
Let's reach out to Olana because here you have the junction of a visionary artist, landscape design, all rolled into one. And so they are sending Carolyn Keogh, who is a director of education and public programs at Olana. She has a fabulous background in art history, but she also has a background on public communications and how to use cultural sites as a welcoming educational place. And so she'll be talking about examining Frederick Church and his artist design house and landscape and seeing all of that through the lens of art, ecology, and place. And ecology is important here because that was an emerging field in the 19th century. Before we close, is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to bring into light? The date is Earth Day, April 22nd. So in the morning, we have vendors that come in. So we're going to have vendors there with green material. They're going to bring in plants, shrubs, trees, whatever. And so we're going to have some bring in vegetable starts. We're going to be selling seeds from Hudson Valley Seed Company. Uh, We're going to have garden-related vendors. So that's part of the feature. And we're also going to be doing free soil tests. So people can dig up some soil from their vegetable garden or their flower garden and uh, bring us a sample of that, and we will test it free for pH. Now, if you're studying soil, you know pH plays a big role in what some, sometimes something succeeds or sometimes something fails. And uh, so we'll be doing free pH tests on soil. And the other thing we're going to have is a table where people can pick up fact sheets. So that's where we will have information about the spotted lanternfly. We will have some information there. There will be master gardeners all over the place. People can chat them up and ask questions. And in addition to that, we'll also have an area where we have seed catalogs as well as uh, hopefully a few gardening magazines. They'll have um, access to uh, some breakfast items, and then we'll have lunch at the cafeteria. And so, you know, the whole day is just like jam-packed. You get to choose four out of 16 classes. There'll be two in the morning, a lunch break, and then two in the afternoon. And to go online to register for the day is ulster.cce.cornell.edu backslash garden day 23. And if you want to order lunch, we're getting lunch from a fabulous uh, provider in Kingston. Their name is Stone Soup, and they, their food is just really delicious. And, and that would include a wrap, it's a, a little dessert, it's a little side salad, and you get your choice of uh, one of the beverages that we have on hand. The last day to register is April 14th. In the past, we have sold out well before Garden Day. On April 22nd, when they come to the college, they will receive a folder with all the information that they need about their classes and where to go, and it's well-staffed, so uh, nobody will get lost. (laughs) 
here's a phone number people can call if they have questions. It is 845-340-3990, extension 335. To go online to register for the day is ulster.cce.cornell.edu backslash Garden Day 23. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Barbara. It's really a gift to gardeners, to the planet, to receive this information and beautify. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to speak with us. I really appreciate that you reached out to us. This is Rosie Starr with Barbara Bravo, Volunteer Master Gardener with Cornell Cooperative Extension. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guest, Master Gardener volunteer Barbara Bravo from Cornell Cooperative Extension in Ulster County. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. Hi, I'm Mimi Bradley, Radio Catskills Development Manager. When you include Radio Catskill in your estate plan, your generosity will provide a lasting legacy that will affect thousands of other listeners for years to come. The rewards go beyond the tax savings that can result from your gift. Through planned giving, it is possible to make gifts to Radio Catskill you might have previously thought impossible. Call me on 845-482-4141 to have a conversation about your sound legacy for Radio Catskill. This week on Notes from America.